the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. I'm always amazed when I hear people who have been Christians for a long time, and yet they'll say, But I don't know what to say to somebody about Christ. I don't know how to explain the gospel to a lost person. Well, listen, pay attention to sermons. Pay attention to sermons and you'll learn. Take notes, figure it out. If that's your situation, you're not sure, then what we're going to study today should help you because we're going to see today and the next time we study this how Peter explained the gospel to these Gentiles. And what stands out as I've been studying this and I've been thinking about this, what stands out about Peter's gospel presentation is that while he tells them all the theological truths that they need to know to be saved, there is a beautiful simplicity in what he says. And what I mean by that is that there is no attempt on Peter's part to try to redo or adjust the gospel to make it sound more appealing, more impressive to Cornelius and his powerful military friends. Peter is just faithful to proclaim the message of salvation without tampering with it by trying to spruce it up to look more attractive to the secular mind. Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Welcome to Verse by Verse. We are in Acts chapter 10, and our series is titled, The Gospel Comes to the Gentiles. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And today, he is going to take us through the elements of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In other words, Christ's death is sufficient. Nothing else is needed. When we share the gospel with someone, what is it that we share? We're going to learn that on today's verse-by-verse broadcast. When I was younger, I was afraid to share the gospel, partly because I wasn't sure what to say. I think today's session will help us greatly in sharing the gospel with others. Here is Pastor Steve. Here in Acts chapter 10, we see the clear teaching that Gentiles are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The second reason Peter's proclamation of the gospel to Cornelius and his family and friends is so significant is because it gives us insight as to what the apostles actually believed was the gospel message. In other words, it tells us the content 
of what we call the gospel, the message of salvation. What the apostles shared when they had the opportunity to share with somebody about salvation, what did they share? That's what we're going to learn today. It's important for us to be aware of this because you and I need to know what it is we are supposed to actually tell people if we have the opportunity to present Christ to them. I'm always amazed when I hear people who have been Christians for a long time. And yet they'll say, but I don't know what to say to somebody about Christ. I don't know how to explain the gospel to a lost person. Well, listen, pay attention to sermons. (laughs) Pay attention to sermons and you'll learn. Take notes, figure it out. If that's your situation, you're not sure, then what we're going to study today should help you because we're going to see today and the next time we study this how Peter explained the gospel to these Gentiles. And what stands out as I've been studying this and I've been thinking about this, what stands out about Peter's gospel presentation is that while he tells them all the theological truths that they need to know to be saved, there is a beautiful simplicity in what he says. And what I mean by that is that there is no attempt on Peter's part to try to redo or adjust the gospel to make it sound more appealing, more impressive to Cornelius and his powerful military friends. Peter is just faithful to proclaim the message of salvation without tampering with it by trying to spruce it up to look more attractive to the secular mind. Folks, that's critical for us to understand and to embrace and take to heart because it is very tempting for all of us that when we share the gospel with others, it is very tempting to take the simplicity of it out by trying to make the message sound more intellectual and more sophisticated so that we don't sound like simpletons and religious quacks to our friends and people we're speaking to. But when we do this, Not only do we fail to be faithful to the Lord and to his gospel, but we remove the power of God from the very message. Listen to what Paul had to say about this, because the apostle Paul faced a very similar situation when he came to the city of Corinth, and he found himself before the Corinthians who were steeped in Greek philosophy and man's wisdom. Listen to what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. I love this. Paul said, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I'll set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews seek for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling blocks and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now listen, essentially, essentially what Paul is saying in these verses is that God, in his wisdom, decided that men could never come to know him through their own wisdom. Never. 
no matter how bright they are. Never could they come to know him through their own wisdom. The only way they could come to know him was through the preaching of the simple message of the cross of Christ, which to them, Paul said, sounded foolish, nonsensical. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that this is how most of the people in the city of Corinth would react to his preaching. In their sinful pride and their arrogance, they would deem the Apostle Paul and his message of the cross as just foolish, as just silly. And so he had a decision to make when he came to the city of Corinth. Was he going to try to impress the Corinthians with polished speech that made the gospel sound more appealing to their philosophical minds? Or was he going to trust God to save people by preaching the simple message of the cross and risk sounding foolish and non-intellectual? Well, in the opening verses of chapter 2, he tells us what he decided to do. He writes, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul is saying that he made a choice. He made a decision to preach Christ crucified because that is the heart of the gospel. And it's this message and this message alone that the Holy Spirit uses to save people. So now that you know how important these verses are that are before us in Acts 10, we're ready to begin to look at the fifth scene of Luke's unfolding story of how the gospel came to the Gentiles, with this scene focusing on Peter's preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Now with this, understand, he's got an attentive audience sitting before him. With this attentive audience of unsaved Gentiles sitting before him, Peter begins his address by making some personal remarks concerning what God has been teaching him in recent days. He tells them that he now understands something that he didn't understand before, that God is not one to show partiality. In other words, he now grasps the truth that God does not show favoritism to saving only Jewish people and not Gentiles. That's what he means. Now, frankly, I love Peter, but Peter should have known better. Peter should have known this long before now, long before this vision that God gave him, because the Old Testament made it very clear that God does not show partiality. This wasn't a new biblical truth. God does not pervert justice by treating wealthy, powerful people better than poor, weak people. Ancient Jewish judges were instructed in the law to carry out justice in Israel based on God's character of non-preferential treatment. This isn't new. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. 
In other words, God doesn't look at an individual's wealth or status or appearance or personal achievements and make judicial decisions about that person based on those external issues. He shows absolutely no favoritism, but deals with people based on righteousness and truth. Peter should have known this. In addition, Peter should have understood that although God had sovereignly chosen the Jewish people as his covenant nation, his plan was always to save Gentiles. This isn't new either. At the very beginning of God's call to Abram to become his covenant people, we read these words in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. This is God speaking to Abraham. I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curses you. I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, what does this mean? In one of your descendants, all the families, not just Jewish families, but all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the blessing that God was referring to is the blessing of salvation that would come by Abraham's greatest son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter certainly would have been familiar with these two Old Testament truths. They're not obscure. They're not hidden. He would have known about God not showing favoritism and blessing the Gentile families of the earth by salvation in the Messiah. But apparently, it never dawned on Peter to apply these truths to the gospel and the Gentiles of his day. I'm sure he knew this, but it never dawned on him to apply this. But through his recent vision, this vision given to him concerning the canceling of Old Testament law that made a distinction between clean and unclean animals, Peter now gets it. He now grasps the higher, more important truth that God makes no distinctions between Jews and Gentiles because he's no respecter of persons when it comes to who he saves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saves Gentiles just as he saves Jews. And listen, we're not guessing that this is what Peter meant. We know exactly what Peter meant because he clarifies this in the very next verse, verse 35. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Now, this is a statement about God showing no partiality at all because he welcomes those from every nation who come to him for salvation. Listen, although this is what Peter means by this, this statement has been grossly misunderstood by some to be saying that God accepts and saves all people who sincerely fear him and do deeds of righteousness. In other words, God accepts everyone as long as they're sincere. He accepts them as long as they're sincere and showing him reverence and living good lives like Cornelius and his circle of friends. But that's not at all what Peter is saying. Not at all. It can't possibly be what Peter is saying because first of all, this would be a blatant contradiction of what the rest of scripture says. The rest of scripture makes it very clear that salvation is by grace through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Never would Peter contradict the rest of scripture. The Bible is diametrically opposed everywhere to teaching salvation by good works. So Peter couldn't possibly be teaching something different than that. Secondly, if this was the case, just for the sake of argument, that God had already saved Cornelius based on him being a devout, sincere, God-fearing man, 
And there's no point in Peter preaching to him if he's already saved. I mean, the whole point of Peter preaching to him is to tell him about salvation. This is what the angel had said. Acts 11 verse 14, as Peter is clarifying this, he tells us that the angel said to Cornelius, go get Peter because he'll speak words to you by which you'll be saved and your household. If he's saved already because he's sincere and devout, this makes no sense. Now listen closely. What Peter is doing by stating that in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him is simply affirming the great truth he's just mentioned in the previous verse, that God does not show partiality. And he affirms this by explaining that God welcomes individuals from every nation who come to him for salvation. And the individuals he welcomes and saves are those who fear him and want to do what's right in his sight. But watch this. The only people who have this fear of God in them and who long to do what is right are those who prior to salvation have experienced the work of God's Spirit in their hearts, bringing them to that point in their lives. In other words, God has prepared them for salvation. They're not saved yet, but he's prepared them for salvation so that having worked in their hearts, he has brought them to the point in their lives where they now have an awareness of him, they have a reverence for him, they have a desire to do what's right in his sight, therefore they're eager and they're ready to hear the gospel. And when they hear it, they're saved. And he does this pre-salvation work in the hearts of men from every nation. Why? Because he does not show partiality. See folks, this is why Cornelius and these Gentiles were so eager to hear what Peter had to say about salvation. Why are they even eager? Why are they here being attentive? It's because God has been at work in their hearts preparing them for this very moment. And that's true of every single one of us who's ever come to faith in Christ. God, by his mercy, prepared you to hear the gospel. He sovereignly and mysteriously worked in your heart giving you a pre-salvation awareness and reverence for him and an interest in doing what is right. So then when you did finally hear the gospel, and we understand regeneration is part of this, it precedes this, when you finally did hear the gospel, you were ready to receive it. You were ready to receive Christ. That's how it happened. So Peter's point is to say that God doesn't show any favoritism. He welcomes all who want what he offers in the gospel. But listen, it isn't enough to have a prepared heart. You have to have that, but it's not enough. You can't just have a prepared heart and leave it like that. One actually has to know the message of the gospel to be saved. You're not saved because you have a prepared heart. As Paul put it in Romans 10, 14, how will they hear without a preacher? And of course, the answer is they won't. Somebody has to tell them the gospel. And in the case of these Gentiles, that somebody is Peter. So, having humbled himself by explaining to this Gentile audience before him that God has recently taught him something, that he isn't partial, and he's ready to save all who want to be saved, Peter is now going to preach the gospel to them. And what we find in Peter's gospel presentation are all the major elements that make up the plan of salvation. That is to say, what Peter is going to proclaim is the content of the gospel. 
Because this is the information people need to know in order to be saved. And it's important that we understand the content that makes up the gospel message. Because far too often Christians think that they have shared the gospel when in reality they have shared tidbits of gospel truth, but not the gospel. Now sometimes that's all you have the time for. That's all somebody allows you. You just get in a tidbit of gospel witness. But when God opens the door... For someone who's agreed to listen to you, you ought to know what to share with them, what the content of the gospel is. Commenting on the importance of sharing the actual gospel, R.C. Sproul wrote this. We hear people all the time saying, I'm committed to sharing the gospel, yet if we look at the content of what it is they share, it's not the gospel at all. I may share with my neighbor that Jesus changed my life. That's a wonderful testimony, but it's not the gospel. I can say to my friends, I've got good news for you. God loves you. That is good news, but it's not the gospel. In New Testament categories, the gospel is understood in terms of a definite content. And that content is not about me. It's really not about you. The content focuses attention on the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And added on is how we can receive the benefits of his ministry by faith. What Peter preached, he writes is the life and ministry of Jesus. I think it's good for us to give our testimony, but we must not confuse our testimony with evangelism. Our testimony is pre-evangelism. It may be of interest to our friends, but again, our life is not the gospel. Christ's life is the gospel. The power of God unto salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is given here in summary form. So let's see the content of the gospel as Peter shares it. Now understand this, you may not explain it exactly like this. This is in skeletal form. It's in a summary form. You may use different words. Your order of presenting things may be a little different, but in principle, this is the content. What Peter shares is the content. So let's begin. He starts off with the foundational truth of the gospel, and that is that peace with God comes only through Jesus Christ. Verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. Let's stop here. First of all, as Peter begins, he makes it clear that what he's about to say is a message from God. It has divine authority. That's what he means when he states the word which he sent. This is God's word. Secondly, Peter says that this divine message was sent to the sons of Israel, meaning the Jewish people. That is to say, the Jewish people were the first ones to hear this message from God. And he's right. In fact, they've been hearing it for 10 years without the Gentiles hearing it. That's the problem. And what was this message God sent to Israel? The message is that one can be at peace with him through Jesus Christ. Preaching peace through Jesus Christ. That was the message. Now listen closely. The issue of peace or the lack of peace is where an understanding of the gospel begins because in telling his audience about peace with God coming through Christ, Peter is really telling them that they are not at peace with God. They're at war with him. They need to be at peace with him, but they're at war with him. And the reason they are at war with him is because they are rebellious sinners who fight him. God is their enemy. And they're fighting him by rejecting his truth and living according to their own understanding and self-established rules. And if you ever doubted that, if you ever doubted human depravity and that all unsaved individuals are at war with God, fighting against him, then consider this 
The absolute proof of that truth is that when God did become a man in the person of Jesus Christ, we murdered him. We murdered him. We are indeed at war with God. When he showed up, we put him on the cross. We killed him. Paul stated in Romans 5.10 that prior to salvation, we were enemies of God. Romans 8.7, he speaks of us being hostile towards God. Ephesians 2.3, he referred to us as children of wrath. Colossians 1.21, we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Folks, what Peter is doing by beginning his gospel presentation, talking about having peace with God through Jesus Christ, is establishing in the minds of his audience their need for Christ. They need him because they are not at peace with God. We were born sinners, at war with God, rebelling against Him. You know, I think for some people, that part of the gospel is the hardest to share. We as humans like to think we're not really that bad. I appreciated what Pastor Steve said toward the end of the program about the issue of peace, or shall we say the lack of peace with God. There was a lot to digest in today's verse-by-verse program, but I hope you were able to take it in and apply it to your life. On our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will continue to talk about the subjects of peace and war. Many people don't think of themselves as being at war with God. They prefer to think they are neutral. However, that will be debunked in our next program, so please join us. If you would like to share any of these broadcasts with a friend, please encourage them to go to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the podcast. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.